I'm Darren Murphy. I'm gonna do one more, it's gonna be my last one. Lewis Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Lonnie Pena. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. Uh, I guess a, a world-renowned guest after your uh, trip to Russia last year. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I, I guess we can safely say that now, yeah. Yeah. 
Minya Zavut Cotton Mather from Austin, Texas. I guess it was earlier this year, uh, we did a show on the albums that we thought that uh, our listeners should hear, and one of my choices was Contiki. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, it's definitely a, a fantastic Beatles album. Yeah. Uh, sure. they're, they're, in, in, in the most authentic and contemporary way. And Robert Harrison is just such a genius. Mm-hmm. He really is, and and with without intending to be, you know, he he doesn't set out to say, "I want to do a song that sounds like this." It just whatever comes out of him comes out of him, and he takes such a left of center approach to everything he does, and he's so well read, and uh, and so smart and so passionate about what he does. Uh, there's the uh, there's just a, a magic that's irresistible. And then your drumming work on that is actually very Ringo-ish. Was that intentional? Um, in a way, I think so, because I, I had this this Ludwig uh, Blue Oyster Pearl drum kit 
that I brought over uh, to this tiny little home studio out way out in Leander, which is up northwest of Austin by about you know 20, 25 minutes. And Robert had, had just called me one afternoon and, and said, um, I'm just doing some recording here. My uh, regular drummer is, is on the road with another band, and I'm just kind of winging it. Why don't you come over, bring your drums and your vibe, and set them up. We'll set up some mics and see what happens. And so he had a couple of, he and, and his guitar player, Whit Williams, uh, they had a couple of, of sketches of songs they were working on. And, and uh, I just said, all right, well, how about we do this? I just played according to what the song felt like to me. And Robert's like, oh, that's great. And, and he said, now I've got some loops I want you to play to. And, and, Sweet, and so, sweet. I just before we move on too further, mm -hmm. who's our guest, by the way? Uh, <laughs> we ha we haven't introduced him. Uh, well, like you say, uh, inter internationally renowned uh, uh, Darren Murphy from Houston, and he now lives in Austin, and he's been doing Beatles things basically his entire career. Yes, <laughs> and around the world, apparently. <laughs> That's what we just heard. <clears throat> so awesome. Good to have you, Darren. Oh, it's good. great to be here. It's good. It's good to finally meet you guys. Well, yeah. I've known I've known Ed for quite a while. Yeah, and I've known you for at least what eight minutes now, <laughs> or, or maybe going on fifteen minutes. Well, everybody saw uh, Trish and Darren back in the day. Anyone in Houston knew who you were, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and those so were, those were the innocent days, the Sally days. <laughs> so so let's start there. Um, uh, so you were you were in a band with your sister. Uh, and it was, uh, at one point it was an acoustic duo, a Nurk Twin style thing. Yeah, yeah. It was something that uh, that we had always done. I think the first time we did anything like that was when she was in college at the University of Dallas. And we just did one of their coffee house shows. And uh, she you know, graduated from college and moved on. She lived in, in Italy, lived out in L.A. And I was working the Houston scene with a couple of different bands and while I was playing drums for Ezra Charles and the Works, Trish moved back to Houston. And I was doing occasional acoustic gigs out on Richmond Avenue. And, and I said to Trish, hey, I've got this gig. Why don't you just come play it with me? And she's like, hey, great. So we just showed up and did whatever we wanted and eventually moved it inside the loop uh, to the Ginger Man, uh, which was our cavern club, basically. Yeah, that was yeah. where uh, everything gelled and... And audiences started showing up and, and getting bigger and bigger. And then we moved on and to places like the, the Pig Live and the, what was it, the Fabulous Satellite Lounge. Got ourselves a, a, a drummer and a bass player and put out a couple of albums and um, took it up a notch. Now, the cool thing about those shows is they were frequently as much comedy as they were uh, music. Yeah, we were just throwing out whatever it was we had. We had uh, we had a sense of humor. It was all just about having fun, and uh, and you know us having a good time and trying to project that to the audience a little bit. And uh, we did some. Well, I did some really dumb things, <laughs> uh, just in, in the name of experimentation and and just total unfiltered silliness. And most of it worked, some of it didn't. But ultimately, it, it, uh, it became about the music and we started getting a lot more serious about our songwriting. And, and that was us. It was funny because Trish and Darren was really just the two of us learning how to be musicians, learning how to be performers, learning how to be songwriters. 
and learning how to tour all those little things and it was happening in public in front of lots and lots so of it was just like learning experience <laughs> yeah. you know, on stage so it's a musical family what was some of your uh, background influences well it all started with our dad daryl murphy was a a grassroots ground floor rock and roll fan he was born uh, two weeks before john lennon was born in mm-hmm. september of 1940 and uh, he and my mom were both really big fans of the black music stations that were on AM radio and okay. that nobody else was listening to. And uh, Ray Charles was actually here then. So is no. your family from Houston? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So my uh, okay. both my parents uh, grew up here, and my dad was playing music in the the mid '60s with some of his contemporaries, were guys like Kenny Rogers and B, right. and B. Right. J. Thomas and Mickey Newberry. He knew all of those guys. Sweet. Yeah. And uh, who's the other guy? Dean Scott. He knew him. And so he played, and the Bubble Puppy. Uh, they were on the <laughs> the same record label there for a little while, and so he had a band called the Family Plot. And um, in fact, Crash Collins, the great, mm-hmm, late, great mm-hmm. Crash Collins, yeah. was the bass player. Dennis, I knew him as Dennis. Oh wow! Yeah. So okay. he That's was. A, it was a DJ in early, uh, early years here in Houston. Yeah. FM. Uh, so, so if history had gone differently and Ringo had actually immigrated, he would have played with your dad here in town, right? <laughs> Hopefully enough, yeah. That's right. He, he had uh, he had applied to the the Houston Chamber of Commerce and uh, until he saw the stack of paperwork and it's like, nope, I'm not, not gonna, doing that. Not going to do it. But interesting. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. And so he taught all of us. I mean, we used to sit there and 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 watch the band rehearse. And so I, I learned about drumming. We learned about harmonizing. We watched songs actually getting built. And we all, uh, the, my sisters and I, all had a natural knack for it. And so the four of us just sang together constantly when we were kids and developed a, a deep understanding and passion for it. And so. You know, when Trish and I grew up, we just naturally took it as far as we could take it. And of course, during the '60s, assuming that your your family listened to the Beatle music, mm-hmm. and that was a great influence, I'm, I'm sure to some degree. Yeah, it was a rock and roll household through and through. It was Otis Redding and Donovan and the Stones. Uh, I, there wasn't much of the Who. I got into the Who later on. Yeah. But uh, um, there was like plenty of Bob Dylan, plenty of of Credence, plenty of Moody Blues. So, so your your instrument of of original origins is drumming. Mm-hmm. I'd always been attracted to drums. Okay. Um, just the, just looking at pictures of of Ringo and watching Help on TV, mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I've got to. That's, I've gotta it, that's me. Drums. I'm gonna do it. Mm. <laughs> and I would like to do something um, we don't often do. Give someone a chance to sing. We just often sing. And there he is, all out of key and nervous, singing act naturally, Ringo.
Well, uh, thank you very much, everybody. Blackpool. Blackpool and all that's good to be here. And then the guitar was next. Uh, yeah, um, uh, my dad was always a guitar player. Trish was actually the first kid to learn how to play guitar. And uh, so she learned several years before I did. And I knew a couple of chords, but it just didn't stick uh, until my best friend started taking guitar lessons. And I was like, all right, I can't not be playing guitar now. I have to. So I picked it up and never put it back down. And now you can play anything you want, basically. I can't shred. But I can play uh, uh, just about, you know, uh, uh, I, could, I could put a song together. Well, not just guitar, any instrument you want. You're, oh. <laughs> you're multi, multi-musical, the, the closest thing we have to Paul McCartney around here, I think. Oh, my God. I got to tell you, I had to play, I'm, I'm a terrible keyboard player. I had to play piano in front of Yoko Ono in New York City, and my hands shook like they have, uh, like, uh, like a, like a yeah. spastic. Wait, was what, what was the uh, story behind that? Um, well... Uh, this is this is one of those like uh, it's, this is literally one of those right place right time stories miracle stories. Um, in uh, you know, fast forward to 2004, I was living in Austin and I had a friend uh, who was a, a booking agent and um, he booked me on some gigs and uh, he also booked Marshall Crenshaw. And uh, so he booked a couple yeah. of, uh, of of bills with us uh, between Houston and, and Dallas. And so a few months later, I ran into this guy. His name is Jeff Osborne. Uh, I just ran into him on the street and said, hey, how you doing? I said, how's Marshall? He's like, oh, he's good. Uh, this guy in New York uh, came looking for him about having him audition for this John Lennon Broadway musical. And I went, bing, <laughs> I want to do that. Can you get me an audition? Can you get me, I'm, I'm going to play you some of my, uh, so I, I played him some of my, uh, what I call what the fab forgeries. There were just some Beatle covers that I'd put together yeah. at home on my four track. And yeah. he listened to them and he went, oh my God. So, and they are available on the web, by the way, uh, on at Darren, what, darrenmusic.com, is that right? Uh, Your yeah. website? <laughs> yeah, it's really, you have to dig through several layers of dust in order to, <laughs> to find those things. It may be yeah, worth it, though, folks. Well, 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 yeah, well, it's definitely uh, worth it. We'll, we'll put a link up to the yeah. site on there. One, two, three, four.
And so what happened? So, uh, yeah, so he sent them along. He sent them along to the director and, and show creator, a guy named Don Scardino. It's an amazing guy. And he uh, said, oh, this is great. Come up to New York and audition. So I went up there and, you know, he sent me a script and I sang some songs and read some lines and, and he and I hit it off famously. And, uh, you know, the, the big, the backers and the, the big production team, you know, they're, they're not going to take a chance on you know, some unknown dude from Austin with mm-hmm. like zero professional theater experience. Right. You know, they're not going to risk their reputation and, 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 and cash on that. So uh, eventually I took a job as a swing and uh, a few words about Don Scardino. He's a, a uh, he's been in show business his whole life. A huge Beatles fan, John Lennon fan, and also um, a big name uh, producer and director. He produced mm-hmm. and directed Thirty Rock. He worked on Law and Order, oh, okay. Two Broke Girls, uh, tons of uh, a TV guy. Uh, yeah, he's okay. a, a TV guy. Uh, but he had done Broadway as a as a, a young fella, and so. Uh, when he put this show together, you know, he got Yoko Ono's blessing to put together a, a musical based on John Lennon's life. And it, he wrote it as a conceptual piece where you'd have a small group of repertory actors um, who would uh, you know, throw on a few bits of costume and tell the story of John's life, play different characters, several different characters okay. playing John at different times. And so I was an understudy for three of the guys that were that were playing John at different levels mm-hmm. of, of his life. And um, so uh, one of them um, developed some pretty severe throat problems. So I, I went on, eventually I did 21 shows wow. at the uh, the Broadhurst Theater on 44th Street. That's great. And let's yeah. see, that, that had been in, what, San Francisco? And then it played for, what, a month in New York or something like that? A couple months in New York. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was not a successful show. It was probably... I had to say it's probably one of the uh, uh, one of the only uh, Beatles related projects, you know, directly tied to the Beatles camp that actually lost money. Um, <laughs> but but this, it, it was a cool yeah, show. Bob, this was what about ten years ago? Or? It was two thousand five. Two thousand and five. Yeah. I remember hearing about it. Uh, by the way, this is John Miller. You know him from uh, Mozart and the Jungle. What you may not know is that uh, John is the busiest contractor on Broadway. He puts together all of his uh, bands, orchestras for Broadway shows, uh, and uh, I think you've done six shows at the Broadhurst. Uh, some of them were uh, uh, had very nice runs, and the others should have had very nice runs. <laughs> uh, Earlier this evening, I sang Save the People, which is a great I Want song. It's Jesus' I Want song. This is uh, from Lennon, uh, which I wrote and directed. Uh, audiences loved it. The critics hated it. Uh, we still had a great time. Uh, Yoko loved it, so I guess that was it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so if this is, uh, this I guess would be Lennon's uh, I Want song.
Yeah, there's actually a yeah. more conventional musical nowadays that, that Yoko is actually blessed uh, looking through a glass onion where you've got basically just one guy up there doing, doing the whole Lennon story and, and talking and playing. But uh, Oh, now, is that happening in New York right now? Uh, that the last I heard that was in Liverpool. Okay, and it had been that playing in England. I think it it is played in New York, but it, it never actually got as far as being on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Well, that had to be uh, just an incredible experience for you. I mean, you're understudy, and you were mm-hmm. just waiting in the wings. Yeah, learning for something to happen, <laughs> and it happened. Learning in the ropes, yeah. making a lot of good <laughs> friends. Uh, uh, met Yoko several times. She was at at least half of, of the shows out in the audience yeah. and watching and dancing and crying along mm-hmm. with everyone else. Did, did you get a chance to, to speak with her at any length or just a casual type no, of... Not at great length, but no. but just some um, uh, just some little exchanges here and there. Uh, okay. There was a... Um, during our rehearsals in New York, uh, she was there and, and she was talking with Don about something and... Uh, and they called me over, and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I had brought a bunch of reference material to share with the cast, you know, books and and recordings and videos and stuff. And 
So um, I went over to Don and Yoko and Yoko held up this John Lennon picture book. And she said, where did you get this book? <laughs> There's pictures in here I've never seen before. And oh, I wow. said, well, it's, yeah, it's my mom picked it up for me. And, um, and uh, she, she asked me if she could borrow it. You know, it's, it's like, uh, I said, yeah, I'll lend it to you if you'll sign it for me. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Smart. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I probably would. I should have said, "I'll, uh, I'll give you an imaginary book for an imaginary <laughs> yeah. signature." You know. And did you ever get the book back? And, um, I did. I did, and I didn't think I would because it was weeks and weeks went by. You're like thinking, "Where's that darn book?" <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh, on a on a rainy weekday, um, one of her assistants dropped it off at the theater, and uh, it was in this you know safe envelope. And I pulled it out and opened the thing up, and on the the cover page. Was a huge drawing and uh, and uh, autographs at Imagine Peace Love Yoko <laughs> two thousand five. She's a woman of her word. It, yeah, and, it, apparently so. Yes, That's awesome and and, uh, and and quite the matriarch. Yeah. Did you meet? Did you meet Sean? By the way, I did not. I didn't meet Sean. I I saw him. I know he came to the uh, to the show, but uh, I did read something that he said later in a. Uh, in a book, uh, in a, in the book John Lennon: The Life, mm -hmm. which is a really terrific biography, and there were uh, uh, a few words from Sean at the end, and it's it, it just it hurts so much to read uh, what he was saying. I didn't take anything personally; I just hurt for him because okay. he said the most painful thing for him is not being able to experience the John that everybody else in the world mm -hmm. got to experience. You know, he knew him as, a, uh, as this figure in his life for a very short time and, and missed him terribly and missed out on so many other things. So he said, whenever I see you know, these movie, a movie or a TV show or the Broadway play, watching that stuff is like running naked through the fires of hell. It is such a painful experience. And I remember sitting uh, up in one of the boxes, you know, studying mm -hmm. the uh, the actors as I did on a nightly basis, looking down at Sean with his head in his hands, just looking miserable and just uh, feeling terrible for him. Yeah, I guess he had to live, you know, his dad's history through the other eyes of others. Yeah. To a great degree. You know, they were in Liverpool. Was it this week, Ed? Yeah, John and yeah. Yo uh, uh, Sean and, John, and John Yoko, and, Yoko. And there were pictures yeah. of Yoko in John's old bedroom and... Some people think that, well, she's looking a little frail these days, uh, which is, well, I mean, she's, what, 85, 86, yeah. something like that. I mean, it's to be expected. Yeah. yeah. And then Sean even made some reference to the fact that he's, he couldn't see why his, uh, his dad wanted to move from Liverpool back or, or to New York because he says Liverpool is just a beautiful place in his perspective right now. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so I thought that was uh, that was interesting. <laughs> the grass is always greener yeah. across the pond, I guess. When you've grown, yeah. when you've born and raised in New York, I'm sure there's plenty of other places that were like, "Yeah, why aren't we here?" Yeah. And then, of yeah. course, I mean, since the Lennon story always ends in the same way, that that has to be painful for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's no other way than ending it in 1980, and yeah, well, to to have to live that over and over again. On to the next topic. On to the next Which topic. We won't talk about. But. All right. Uh, so let's see. We we, we left off with uh, you and uh, Trish and Darren. Uh, there was one bit that I that I meant to ask about uh, back before. It was uh, what uh, Lisa Loeb sings the Beatles. Do you remember doing that? Oh, Edie Brickell. Edie Brickell. There you go. <laughs> one and the same, right? 
they're never in the same room together. That's right. Yeah. Never mind. But <laughs> Edie Brickell sings the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, sort sort of a sort of a K-Tel ad, and uh, all I remember was the very end. Goo 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 y'all. Yeah, I wish there was a recording of that uh, somewhere. It was a a, a a silly little thing that we turned into a live uh, mail order album commercial. Uh, where we had um, Edie Brickell, Trish as Edie Brickell singing a medley of of Beatle tunes, uh, every single one of them to the tune of, um, or at least the guitar lick from the, their their big hit "What I Am." Yeah, um, and it's 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 it it's completely unfunny to talk about it, <laughs> but uh, you hear it. It, it cracked me up. It cracked me up at the time just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, a, a concept that went bad. <laughs> Maybe or maybe not. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I uh, was, uh, I remember doing something like that in front of. Um, I was doing this little gig with Brad Hauser, mm-hmm. uh, who was a uh, he's was and still is the bass player for the New Bohemians. Uh, so I did a little brief reference to that. He kind of got a kick out of it. <laughs> new, they have a new album coming out. Oh, okay. Which, by the way, uh, Kyle Crusham of Skyrocket mm-hmm. uh, is another band I'm in. Um, Kyle is the producer for uh, Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians comeback LP. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Well, to post that link. Tonight is the night to unleash the wild street.
back next week with more Darren Murphy. I look forward to it, Ed. Until next time, be safe, folks. Cheers, everyone. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Feaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Special thanks to Greg Whitmire and G Sound 43 Studios who provided the facilities for recording this episode. He was part of his time and ahead of it at the same time. Timeless. The music is phenomenal. His music is phenomenal and it's so smart. And the other thing is that he, he sings mainly about his life. Throw from Paris to the Amsterdam Hilton. Talking in our beds for a week. The news people said, hey, what you doing in bed? I said, we're only trying to get us a piece. You see, because it's a musical and they have their own way of expressing the, the songs. And it just shows how versatile his songs are. The difference between this and other jukebox musicals is that he actually wrote a musical about his life without actually writing a musical about his life, which is really exciting. For me, it's just fun to, get to, give, to give the gift every night, you know? And you can tell on the faces in the audience that they just, they love it. Everybody stands up at the end because it so resonates today. Give me some truth. Uh, most of the music we sing, I'm singing and I'm thinking this is what is happening right now. I, I honestly can't pick a song in the show that is not relevant to what's happening in 2005 right now. Peace is one of the most incredible words that still exists today and we need to like just let that word get out there and expand as much as possible. And that's what Lennon wanted to do. I know it's true. It's all because of you And if you go away I know you'll never fade It's actually named after John Lennon's song that is on the White Album called Julia, written for his mother. Before I got involved with this, the Beatles were like, John Lennon, okay, well, he wrote Imagine, so I guess it's pretty cool. But, you know, whatever. Now, I'm like, this brother was bad. Well, they shake their heads and they look at me as if I've lost my mind. I tell them there's no hurry, I'm just sitting in a time. Yoko, is she fabulous or what? Oh, she's really hands-off. She gives ideas here and there. But she's such a sweet lady and so supportive of all of us. You could tell that she was removed from it in the best sense. 
and that she understood what it was and what it meant to generations before and what it can now mean to these generations. She's just always so happy to be at the theater and and I, she comes so much that that I, I'm I'm taking it as a sign that it's like she's with her husband. Hold me, darling, come on, listen to me. I won't do you no harm. Trust me, darling, come on, listen to me. Come on, listen to me. Come on, listen, listen. Sean came, uh, Lennon, his son came today, and uh, told our director after the show said. Um, it was a very surreal experience, but I think it's what my father would have wanted. I'm just amazed because it was a very, very daring idea to begin with. And, um, but I think it's going very big. It's been done.